Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 225th episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. It is October, Denise. You know what that means. It means lots of fun, lots of shows, trick-or-treating, and spooks. Yes, Halloween is coming. And generally, we try to do creepier shows in the month of October. And we have a doozy for you on this episode. This was suggested to us by Joe Tamulonis and Robert Foster. And that is Asylum 49. Denise, this is one of those haunted house attractions that actually has real haunts inside of it. I know, and it's going to be really, really spooky. And you know what makes this place even scarier? What? It's one of those full contact ones. You know what that means. Well, I know what full contact fighting is. I can imagine that this is really creepy if it's full contact spooky. They can touch you. I don't think I would go into a haunted house where they could touch me because I've always liked having that feeling of knowing that that thing over there with the chainsaw cannot touch me or get near me. So I wonder if they've ever been touched back, so to speak. I wonder. I mean, this is a bunch of kids who are putting this thing on and I would be a little worried that I would get hit or kicked or bitten. Yeah, just, I mean, if nothing else, not trying to cause real harm, but just being so scared and just going into defense mode. I know, I would be the same way. We have a whole slew of people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Denise. Well, let's welcome the slew. Welcome to Emily. Hey, Emily. Leanne. Hi, Leanne. Chris with a Y instead of an I. Hello, Chris with a Y. Kelly with a Y. Hey, Kelly with a Y. Lilia. Hi, Lilia. Diane, who has the best name in the world. Hi, Diane, who has the best name in the world. (laughs) Sebastian. Hey, Sebastian. Dale, who is Misty's mom. Hi, Dale, Misty's mom. Adele. Hi, Adele. Alicia. Hey, Alicia. Lucia. Hi, Lucia. Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Leah. Hi, Leah. Jessica. Hey, Jessica. Jen. Hey, Jen. Rachel with an E at the end of her name. Hi, Rachel with an E. Kennedy. Hey, Kennedy. Joey. Hi, Joey. Linda. Hi, Linda. David. Hey, David. Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Christine. Hey, Christine. Abraham. Hey, Abraham. Madison with an E instead of an O. Hello, Madison with an E. Chrissy, who spells her name C-R-I-S-S-Y. Hello, Chrissy. Sarah. Hi, Sarah. I believe this is Aaron, and it's A-H-R-E-N. Hello, Aaron. Brittany with an I at the end. Hi, Brittany with an I. Aaron with an E. Hey, Aaron with an E. William. Hello, William. Sudhue. Hello, Sudhue. Michael. Hi, Michael. Dana. Hey, Dana. John. Hi, John. Poseidon, apparently the god has chosen to join us. Hello, Poseidon, oh mighty one. Nicole. Hello, Nicole. Christina with a C-H. 
Hey, Christina with a C-H. Wes. Hey, Wes. I think this is Yvonne with no O. Hello, Yvonne with no O. Steve. Hi, Steve. Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Kevin. Hi, Kevin. John 2. Hello, John 2. And Lori. Hey, Lori. Whew, that's a lot of people in the Spooktacular crew. Yeah, so welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Noddity. Many Chinese households and businesses have the image of a guardian spirit painted upon their gates as a form of protection. That guardian is Zhang Kui, and he is part of Chinese mythology. He's considered a vanquisher of evil beings and ghosts. He is so powerful that it is said that he can command 80,000 demons. According to folklore, Zhang Kui traveled with a friend from his hometown, Duping, to take part in the imperial examinations at the capital. Zhang Kui received high marks, but there was a problem. He was horribly disfigured, and so the emperor stripped him of the title his marks had earned. The young man became angry and committed suicide upon the palace steps by hurtling himself against the palace gate until his head was broken. His friend Du Ping buried him. Zhang Kui was damned to hell. There, the hell king saw potential in Zhang Kui when he was judging him. The Hell King gave him the title King of Ghosts, and he was ordered to forever hunt, capture, maintain, and manage ghosts. He returned to his hometown on the Chinese New Year's Eve. To repay Du Ping's kindness, Zhang Kui gave his younger sister in marriage to Du Ping. In America, painting the image of a mythological figure on our homes and businesses for protection against ghosts would certainly be considered odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of October, on the 5th, in 1964, 57 East German refugees ran for freedom under the Berlin Wall, and they were successful. This was the largest mass escape at the time, and the most daring. The refugees made their way nervously past a checkpoint and entered a home after giving Tokyo as the password. The group removed their shoes and padded silently through the house to a back courtyard, where they were directed to enter a disused outside lavatory. Inside was a hole just big enough for a man to fit inside, and then that man had to crawl along a tunnel that was two feet high and three feet wide. It was a terrifying journey, but the refugees knew freedom was on the other end. They were fleeing the communist regime that had taken over East Germany and erected the Berlin Wall, cutting the country off from the world. The tunnel came to be known as Tunnel 57 for the number of refugees who used it that evening to escape. The Berlin Wall finally came down on November 9th in 1989. The city of Tuella in Utah has a history of mining, industry, and bloody conflicts. The original Mormon pioneers who settled here were not on friendly terms with the local Native Americans. Conflicts arose and much blood was spilled. Over 70 years ago, the Tuella Valley Hospital was built for citizens and military members stationed there. It was closed in 2002 and is now the home for Asylum 49, a haunted house attraction. 
When the owners of Asylum 49 bought the property with the intention of creating the attraction, they had no idea that their business would literally be haunted. And Asylum 49 is not just a little haunted, it's a lot haunted. The spirits here are friendly, chilling, and malevolent. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Asylum 49. Tooele, Utah is about 30 minutes southwest of Salt Lake City. Mormon pioneers were the first white men to come to the area, and they used it as a wintering ground for their herds. They arrived in the late 1840s, and eventually more families joined them. They set up a city along a small stream. There was an issue, though. The Goshute tribe was already here. The two groups were soon clashing with each other, and the Mormons accused the tribe of rustling their cattle. They decided to attack, and both sides lost much blood. Eventually, the Tuella City Corporation was organized in 1853. During the Civil War, the Goshutes were attacked and killed by soldiers led by General O'Connor, and they were forced into a peace treaty. They soon were moved off to reservations. The Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad brought a line to the town in 1905, and with it came industrialization. Soon a smelter was built, and immigrants came from several countries to work there. They built a section of Tuella that they called Newtown. In 1942, the Tuella Army Depot was built to store war reserves and training ammunition. In 1949, the Tuella Valley Hospital was built for the depot. The Tuella Valley Hospital was the first modern, state-of-the-art medical facility in the city of Tuella. The hospital opened to fanfare in 1953. Now remember that the state-of-the-art was for the 1950s, so medical care had a long way to go. And even though residents got excellent care, the hospital soon took on an ominous nickname, Hospital of Death. The Tuella City Cemetery sits next door, and it took in plenty of people who passed away at the hospital. By the 2000s, it was becoming apparent that the infrastructure was falling apart. Nobody wanted to put money into updating the hospital when a new one could be built. So the building was abandoned in 2002. And when we say abandon, this means that everything was left in the building as though it were still an operating hospital. Part of the building was repurposed as a nursing home. The rest said abandoned until Kim and Cammie Anderson, Dusty Kingston, and Sonia Anderson bought the property with the intention of creating a Halloween haunt that is full contact. They named it Asylum 49, and it opened in 2006. Unfortunately, when it comes to the history, that is all I could find about the hospital. There weren't any pictures or anything else. We will get a little bit more into some of the history when we talk about the spirits that are here. Oh, that's crazy. That means not only was the hospital abandoned, it's almost like its history was abandoned. Exactly. And it's so strange when the owners went in to buy it, they're walking through there going, I mean, there's x-ray equipment in here. The beds were all there. The records were there. It was as if they just walked away and locked the door and left everything. there. I can't imagine that you wouldn't at least try to repurpose or sell off some of the equipment there or something. Huh, it's almost like when people flee a house and they're just like, we just want out of here. And so I wonder if the hauntings cause them to just walk like that. I don't know. Or maybe it was they were like, well, we have a new hospital and we have new stuff in it, so we don't need that stuff. So just leave it. It was perfect. When Kim did the walkthrough, he was like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine if you're planning to build a haunted house and it's already got all the hospital stuff in it? It's like, this is perfect. No kidding. Asylum 49 is full of fake haunts during the Halloween season, but year round, it is full of real haunts. And I mean full. There are many ghosts here. 
Some of the spirits seem to belong to people who met their final end at the hospital. Some seem to have enjoyed their jobs here so much that they've returned in the afterlife. And others may be venturing over from that nearby cemetery. And then we also have some angry spirits. Maybe they were attached to the land because of the violent past that we have here. Visitors and employees alike have all had experiences. The Anderson family who owns the property have experienced strange occurrences from the first day of ownership. Kim Anderson was walking through the property alone when he ventured into the conference room. Generally, if you walk into a conference room, you're not going to think you're going to have a creepy experience, right, Denise? Not usually. It must have been warm because he was wearing shorts, so he comes in and he surveyed the remnants of a previous haunted house. There's that nursing home that has been repurposed with some of the building that's there. Well, they had thought, hey, this would be a great idea for a haunted house. So they had thought about setting up a haunted house there too, and they never got it done. But they had set up kind of this sheet maze in the conference room. So there were remnants of that hanging there. So he was kind of pushing the curtains away and working his way through it to see what it felt like. Then he felt a tugging on his shorts. He looked down and saw with his own eyes, his shorts moving outward as though something invisible were tugging at them. Something the size of a child. And he did exactly what I would have done. He ran out of the room. Wow. That would freak me out, I think. There are child spirits reputed to be at the former hospital. The main hallway of Asylum 49 is carpeted in green and connects the ER to the maternity wing. Several rooms are off of the hallway, including the conference room. One of them has made the conference room her home base. This specter is said to belong to a little girl, and she has not only made her presence felt by touching people, she has been seen multiple times. Customers at the haunted house will remark how truly creepy the little blonde girl in the conference room is, and, of course, no children are employed by Asylum 49. Or perhaps there is one that is employed by the haunt. Kim, the owner, shares an incredible experience he had with a child ghost during the Halloween season. He was doing an initial walkthrough one evening before opening, and he couldn't find any of the actors in their spots. He finally found them all huddled together at the nurse's station. They said they were terrified and didn't want to work in this area of the hospital that night. Keep in mind, these are a bunch of teenagers, so what could scare a bunch of teenagers? They claimed that they had seen a ghost. Kim went to find this ghost, and he was stunned when he really did find the ghost. He figured he was going to go out there, and I don't know what he thought he would find, but he didn't think he was actually going to find a ghost. She was wearing a white lacy gown, and she was covering her face with her hands and crying. His paternal instinct kicked in, and he asked her what was wrong. She said, I want to scare people, too. (laughs) Kim explained that he didn't want her to scare his employees, but that it was okay for her to scare the visitors. She continued to wail, and so Kim thought up a new angle. They were in a room full of hospital beds, and so he told her that she could help out and scare people, but that he wanted her to hide and not let anyone see her. He suggested she hide under a bed and grab at people's legs. Now, Denise, I'm reading this story and thinking, "Uh uh-huh, sure. I'm an open-minded skeptic. If you see a full-bodied apparition, I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. Not sure I believe it, but I can kind of lean into the believing arena. But when you're telling me you're having a full-on conversation with a crying child ghost, I'm thinking, you are full of crap. Quite possibly so, yes. So I'm thinking that probably a lot of people who are listening are thinking the same thing. And maybe some of you are even thinking, okay, this is probably some real kid. He's going to find out. It's not really a ghost. Well, Kim claims that she evaporated into a black mist that floated down under a bed. He returned to his actors and told them that there was nothing out there. They went out and saw that the ghost was gone, and they went back to work. Now, again, 
you're saying, okay, so it wasn't a real kid. It supposedly, according to him, was something that was ethereal, not real. But we have to take his word for it, unless some other people experienced it as well. So even more compelling is that a short time later, Kim was flagged down by a couple of his security guards. They explained to him that two female performers that had been assigned the job of laying on beds and popping up to scare customers had come running to them terrified. They claimed to have seen a black mist floating in the room, moving under the beds. Kim's wife, Cammie, was skeptical about the story. The next season, she met the little girl when she whispered in her ear, You scared me. The ghost was referring to an actress at the end of the hall pretending to be a girl possessed by a demon. This actress was saying in a sinister voice, Daddy, you scared me. Later in the evening, when they were locking up, Cammie saw an ethereal light in the hallway. When she turned to see what was causing the light, she witnessed something that chilled her to the bone. Richard Estep writes in his book, The Haunting of Asylum 49, Silently coming up behind them, with outstretched hands, was the figure of a little girl in a long, lacy white gown. Her stringy, long black hair hung over a pale gray face in a manner reminiscent of the entity featured in the horror movie The Grudge. Then the silence was broken. As Cammie strained her ears to listen, she could hear Sarah faintly whispering, Daddy, you scare me. This is one of the most incredible experiences I've ever heard. This is shared by multiple people. They're all seeing this same little female ghost in this white nightgown. And look at how the stories go together, because these are things that they're not really telling each other about. Kim had told nobody. As far as he was concerned, he wanted his actors to think that they had just imagined what they'd seen. So he goes in there and says, there's no ghost here. Get back to work. And they go out there. Yep, there's no ghost. They don't see it again. Everything's fine, except for those two girls who are hanging out in the room. And nobody has told them or the security guard that this little girl has turned into a black mist and is hiding under beds. But that's what they see. Then you have his wife a year later seeing this same little girl. And then what did the little girl want to do? She wanted to be like the actors and actresses that she was watching in this haunted house. And she wanted to scare people. Here she was imitating one of the actresses doing exactly what she'd seen the actress doing. And may I just say that had to have been creepy. I I don't even know how you stood there long enough to hear her say anything. If I saw that coming at me and I knew the actress was no longer there. Especially with outstretched arms, I'd be like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm out of here. So who is this Sarah? Do we have any record of who she is? Well, supposedly she was a patient here who died from pneumonia. She's one of the most active and most seen entities. A couple visiting the haunted house claims that they ran into Sarah in the hallway. And they thought she was an actress until she told them she couldn't find her mommy. So they're thinking she got separated from her mom. The woman grabbed Sarah's hand and told her that they would find her mother for her. They pulled her along as they continued to make their way through the house. They were nearly to the end when they realized that Sarah had disappeared. They weren't sure if Sarah had been a ghost. So they're, you know, they're thinking, okay, the kid slipped away from us, got lost again. I mean, she obviously lost her mother. So it's no wonder she lost us too. Except for that couple decided to do a ghost tour at Asylum 49 the next year. During the presentation, a photo of Sarah was shown and the woman gasped. Later on, she went up to uh, Cammie and said, we know that child. We met her. We thought that she had lost her mother and she just disappeared from us. So now they knew for sure that the child had not been real, even though they'd held her hand. Wow. Could you imagine? I would be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. The hallway has its own spirits. One of them is a shadow figure that people have named Robert. He is tall and broad. 
The shadow is occasionally seen with a cane when he walks across the hallway. He has cracked jokes on EVPs and playfully jumped out from around corners. He responds to requests to move in order to prove that he's not just a shadow. A psychic has told the owners that she believes Robert is a protective spirit who watches over the child ghost here, like the little blonde girl and another child spirit that is a shy boy named Thomas. He stays in room one and likes to hold people's hands. He likes to ball up the sheets on the beds, too. There is also Tabitha in the nursery. Tabitha wears a yellow dress and has told a psychic that something was wrong with her brain and that is why she died. She likes to participate in the haunted house and seems sad when the season is over. Members of the staff visit in the off-season and bring toys with them to keep the children company. So, Denise, I think our listeners know when it comes to child ghosts how we kind of feel about that. So this one, we've got all kinds of them here. You've got this little Thomas. You've got Tabitha. We've got Sarah. And then the little blonde girl is the same one who was in the conference room who pulled Kim shorts that first time. People have seen her many, many times as we'd said that they think that she works there, but obviously they don't employ children in a full contact haunted house. Even though we have weird feelings about child ghosts, it is kind of cute that they all want to come out and play haunted house and scare people, which is totally what a child would want to do is be a part of. So it's cute that they're participating in the, the all the fun. And the owners say when it's the off season, you can really feel as though the spirits are kind of bummed out or depressed. It's almost like because there isn't all that added energy because they have like 30,000 people go through here during a Halloween season. Imagine all that energy coming through there and then it's just gone. So they say you can kind of feel that the spirits are just, they have nothing to feed off of. So they're very down about that. Now they do host uh, ghost tours and let people come in and do paranormal investigations when it's not October. But it's just not the same as having all of that energy, especially when you've got scares going on and people are screaming and fearful and all that good stuff. Several ghosts belong to former doctors and nurses and other hospital staff. Peter Hansford was an x-ray technician at the Tuella Hospital. He seems to have loved his job so much that he has returned after his death. The reason why the owners and investigators are confident of this fact is that an EVP was captured of a male voice saying Peter's full name when asked what his name was. I mean, that's pretty, you could sit there and say, oh, it sounds like he said Peter, but to say that full name, it's like, wow. Yeah. The specters of a doctor and nurse are said to be in the nursery. No one knows the name of the nurse, but the doctor is named Nicholas. Neither of them seems to be aware that they are dead. They continue to do their work, but not in a residual way. Dr. Nicholas has been seen on security cameras standing behind an actor doctor while the haunt is in full swing. He is probably perplexed as to what the maniacal doctor is doing. So you can imagine he's standing there and he's seeing this guy who's basically butchering a woman in some kind of operating scene. And Denise, I know you can picture that in your mind because we went Uh, through that haunted house that had that one that put you on your knees. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was horrible and horrifying, especially when he slammed the door open right around the corner. (laughs) Nothing like having the instructor of the school taking all of her Taekwondo students through a haunted house and she's the one who hits the deck. (laughs) That was bad, though. That guy was freaky. (laughs) So you can imagine a real doctor would be standing there going, what in the hell are you doing? I don't know what time period these people are coming from. And of course, they may not even be these doctors and nurses. could be imposters. Who knows? Because obviously, when you've got psychics telling you that's who these people are and stuff, it depends upon if you believe them or not. 
but it could be they're coming from a time period where they don't know about these type of modern day haunted houses that we do that nowadays. Because I remember when I went through haunted houses as a kid, they weren't like this. It was kind of, remember Denise, you would put your fingers in the bowl and it would be like grapes and they tell you they were eyeballs. We made a haunted house like that when <laughs> I was a kid and charged people, I think a quarter or something to go through. It was yeah. fun. We made one with the neighbors too down in their basement. We had this uh, large butcher paper and we kind of crinkled it up and then spray painted it with black lines so it looked like cave walls. And yeah, we did the same thing and had noodles for brains and I they, can't remember all the stuff. They would put their hands in things and it would be different things like that. Yes. Yeah. But we didn't have like the crazy blood and people jumping out and chainsaws and everything. And hitting the window all bloody saying, help me, help me while a maniacal doctor is... Dissecting you. you. <laughs> Ugh. Bonnie is a former patient who died from cancer and now roams the nursery wearing a hospital gown and pulling along an IV tower. She claims to be looking for her husband and wants to see the babies, even though the nursery obviously has no babies anymore. The mirror maze seems to be the place with the most activity, and perhaps this is because of the mirrors. EVPs that have been captured include, I'm here now, you'll be mine. We died here. Caught a bullet and I'm going with you. Eva is an elderly ghost who's been seen in room two. She seems to like to play cards and investigators have used a flashlight to get her to indicate which card she wants to play. She only usually hangs around to play for a few hands as though she is easily bored. Photos have captured a tall male figure that is creepy as hell. Upon enlarging the picture, one can see that the face is almost cartoonish in appearance, with raised eyebrows and a grin that would be at home on a caricature. This is thought to be Jeremy, a burn patient who had to wear a mask to protect his face. He had been covered in third-degree burns before he died. Female staff members claim that he's a pervert, so I assume he must reach out and grab them in ways they don't want to be touched. And investigators claim that he likes to play the imposter, pretending to be one of the other spirits at Asylum 49. The reason they know it's him, a smoky smell accompanies his manifestations, and he seems to prefer to hang out in the staff lounge and kitchen. Room 6 has been renamed Room 666, and it once was home for a long-term patient named Wesley. He had been suffering from Alzheimer's disease. He died here when he was 90. Interactions with his spirit are as varied as they were when he was alive. He can be warm and charming or aggressive and confused. Ghost Adventurers featured Asylum 49 on an episode and Zach Baggins provoked an extreme reaction from Wesley that left Zach pinned up against the wall. It knocked the wind out of him. Others have experienced violence and anger in this room. Whether it's Wesley or some other entity, no one knows for sure, but most people find room 666 to be unsettling. And of course, we all know that Zach should have never tempted the spirit. He clearly said something that pissed it off, which I'm not surprised about. And I really have a hard time now. Obviously, when we die, I, we don't know what our spirits are like. I, I hope we're back to being youthful and fit. So he's not some 90-year-old man that's dying. So it, it could be Wesley who's doing it, or maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, Another interaction that has happened here is the owners like to lead people on ghost tours and Cammie, who's the wife of Kim, was leading a particular ghost tour and they decided they wanted to hang out outside of room 666. So they're all sitting on the floor in the hallway and they're leaning against the wall. And they decided to have one of them go in and sit in a chair that's there in the middle of the room. And I think it's a recliner or something. So the guy kicks it back and he's laying there. And unlike when I sat in the chair to kind of get the spirit to maybe interact with us, Denise. 
he started provoking it, which I did not do. He was like, if you're here, show yourself. Nothing happened. You know, if you don't want me to sit in this chair, let me know. Do something to show me that you don't want me in this chair anymore. And I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. I am not going to say, hey, if you want me out of this chair, especially if Zach had gotten pinned up against a wall. Well, especially since they nicknamed the room 666, Mm -hmm. which isn't associated with good. So he's reporting to everybody out in the hallway because they're sitting out in the hall and they're not looking in and it's dark everywhere. So they can't see. It feels a little bit heavy in here, but nothing's happening. So he continues to do this for a few more minutes, continues to challenge whatever spirit's there to show itself and nothing is happening. So finally he says, you know what? You know, nothing's going to happen in here. I'm done. So he gets up, he walks out of the room and joins the rest of the group out in the hallway. So they continue to sit there and then they hear this like creaking coming as if somebody sat down in the chair and they know that it's all of them out there. She says, you know, has anybody left our party? And they're like, no, not that we're aware of. And she said, well, you know, it's an old chair in there and old chairs settle. It probably was just resettling itself from when the guy was sitting in it, re-cushioning up or something like that. We all kind of know what she's talking about. And that's what my initial thought would be, too, is that the chair's just resettling. Then they hear it creaking a little bit more and they're thinking, "Mm, maybe it's just still settling some more. Well, one of the girls decided to look at her phone. She wanted to check her messages or something like that. And so she turns on her phone. And of course, we all know the face of it illuminates. And so it lights up the hallway a little bit. And Cammie kind of looks back over her shoulder and sees that the door to room 666 is almost closed. Now, the guy who was in the room and came out of it didn't touch the door. They had left it wide open. So she's like, oh my gosh, guys, look at this. So they turn on their flashlights and she stands up in front of the door and she's like, uh, something almost closed this door all the way. And just as she's making that kind of a remark, the door slammed so hard that another group that was investigating a different part of the building came running to see what the problem was. Wow. So whatever was in that room was pissed and didn't want them in there. And it really made itself known. But what I think is interesting is that it almost closed the door, but not quite. It's almost like it wanted to be able to hear what they were doing out in the hallway, but it wanted them to know that they weren't allowed to come in. But then when they made some kind of comment about it, unless this is how devious and intelligent the spirit could be, he knew that they would notice that the door was almost closed and he wanted to do just that, slam it at somebody. Scare him. Exactly. Now, the conference room that we talked about is no longer set up like a conference room. And they change out the haunts, I think, every year. They, they do a different theme or try some different things. And what they've turned the conference room into is the Chapel of the Damned. And it's got all the little stained glass windows and everything. And we've talked that this little girl is, is haunting in there. And they've had some other spirits. And they think that they may have a spirit in there that isn't a part of the hospital and that didn't come over from the cemetery. It might have come along because it was attached to one of the pews that is now in that chapel. And the reason why they think that is because where they got these pews from was from a mortuary. Oh. So they think that somebody, a spirit from the mortuary, attached itself to that pew and then came to the hospital with it. And I don't know why this is such a popular name when it comes to ghosts, but they think his name is George. How many times have we heard the name George for a ghost? Uh, It's a good ghost name, though, Diane. George literally is attached to that pew because whenever they move it to a different room, they have like a doll room that they've moved the pews to at times. Then all of a sudden he's haunting that room. So whatever room the pews are in, 
He's in there. Denise, here's a picture of what the doll room looks like. No, thank you. You don't even have to creep up dolls to make them creepy. And then those are really gross. And the doll room is now where the staff lounge used to be. And we already know that that's being haunted by a couple of other ghosts as well. So some of the dolls are sprayed with a demonic looking green color. Some are painted in a cold white tone. They all have lifeless glass eyes, which seem to follow you around the room. Do they just seem or do they do it? That's the question. And one of the psychics that has done quite a few walkthroughs here and is the one who's generated a lot of these names believes that several of those dolls have something attached to them as well. Now, if we were to ask our listeners, what do you think would be the creepiest part of an old hospital to have set up as part of a haunted house? What do you think they would say? The morgue. You want to hear something really unusual about this hospital, even though it was called the Hospital of Death? Um, let me guess. They probably did not have a morgue. This hospital was built without a morgue. Can you believe that? That seems pretty weird. And maybe with the graveyard just next door, they just went straight over there. But it seems like there'd have to be somewhere to prepare, prepare the body for burial. So what they did was they would place the bodies of the newly deceased out of sight. And that would be in rooms 20 and 21. So these were their temporary morgues. And then the coroner would come and pick them up from there. So there were some paranormal investigators who decided to do an EVP session in room 21. And they ended up with a full-blown conversation. Here's how it went. Is there anyone here who'd like to talk to us? A young boy answered, yes. What is your name? The boy revealed his first name. Were you a patient here? Yes. If you were a patient, why were you at the hospital? This time, two separate spirit voices answered. We died here, said the first. Caught a bullet, gabbled the second. Almost too quickly to hear. If you were a patient, Kim continued, do you remember what happened? The young boy responded and told the group that a family member had accidentally shot him to death and that he died in the hospital, his body finally being placed in room 21. So then a little bit later, Kim was giving a ghost tour after they'd had this session and, and he decided he was going to tell this story when they would get to room 21. So he's telling this story about this young boy who died tragically from a gunshot wound and how they'd had this conversation with him. And he noticed that a woman in the group was crying. He continued with the tour, but he decided to make sure that he remembered who she was because he wanted to talk to her afterward to see why was she crying about this. So he went up to her afterward and just said, I couldn't help but notice that you were crying. Are you okay? And she got really angry with him and clenched her fist at her side. And she said, that little boy you talked about, the one who died in room 21, he was my nephew. She got even more angry. You know, he was like, well, I'm sorry, ma'am. We, we didn't mean to upset you. And she's like, how did you know about him? And she started jabbing him in his, in his chest with her finger. You mentioned details that nobody knows, that nobody could know unless they were family. So who told you? Nobody was supposed to say anything. We're trying to protect the person who shot him. And only a few people in the family know all of those details. So who was it that told you? And he answered how? And then he had to tell her, ma'am, it was in our EVPs. I didn't hear that from anybody. Nobody told me that. Obviously, we didn't see it on TV or read it in a newspaper. So he said, your nephew told us himself. I'm really sorry that you heard it like this. And I didn't mean to upset you, he'd said. I had no idea that something like this was going to happen. 
So then she gets even more angry because she doesn't believe in this whole spirit thing. And she doesn't believe that her nephew's spirit had told him this stuff. And so he was like, well, would you like me to go get the recordings for you to, to prove to you that this happened? And she crossed her arms and was like, yes. So then he played the recording for her and her eyes widened and she began to cry. And she put her hands over her mouth and she said, that's him. That's his voice. Wow. And then she was a little bit upset because she was like, is he stuck here? Why didn't he cross over? And, you know, Kim just had to say, I'm sorry, I I don't know. We don't understand all of this. Maybe he didn't cross over. We're not sure why not. Well, she wanted to go to room 21 and ask him why he didn't cross over. And, you know, Kim's thinking, I don't want to do this. But he takes her to the room. So she calls out several times to her nephew. And finally, after a few times, they finally get a response on the recorder that says yes. And so then Kim asked him, are you stuck here? And he said no. And then he said, are you hurt? And the little boy said no. So the aunt and him continue to have a little bit of a conversation with him. And she goes home. And the next day, Kim gets an email from the mother of the little boy. And she wants to come meet Kim and listen to the recording. And she also verifies that that is her son on the tape. Oh, wow. So in some ways, it's nice that they have that recording for them. But how creepy would that be? There are literally hundreds of experiences that people have had at Asylum 49. We could go on and on and on, but I think you're getting a general idea of the hauntings that are here. And I have to say, Denise, we've done hundreds of places at this point. This really does feel like one of the most active locations we have ever talked about. Yes, because we haven't even covered all of the ghosts, but... You know, we just touched on some of the more, I guess, common ones, but there's a lot of interactions that happen at this place. And rarely do people go there to investigate and not have something happen. So now here goes all of our listeners. Whoop, off they go <laughs> to Asylum 49. At least all the spirit tempters went that way. I don't know. Sometime in October, we, we might have to visit Asylum 49, although I am not into the full contact haunted house. So I, I don't know. But I would like to go do a ghost tour there. So we could go when it's not in full swing. That'd probably be better. Yes, because I don't think I want to go to a full contact haunted house, nor do I want to go tempting the spirits, but I would like to do one of their ghost tours. And this is just outside of Salt Lake City. So there's plenty of things to go see there. Yes, there is, including the hospital I was born at. And isn't it interesting? One of the other haunted house locations that we've done was the, was it the Portland Cement Works that they've made into the Fear Factory? I think so. That's in Utah, too. Isn't it interesting that both of these haunted houses have real ghosts in them? Hmm. That is, that is kind of funny. But after the Halloween season is over, the attraction is dismantled and the hospital is returned to its normal state and opened up for paranormal investigation. The stories of haunted experiences are plentiful here. Is it possible that this old hospital could really be this haunted? Are there really over a dozen ghosts hanging around? Is Asylum 49 haunted? That is for you to decide. I want to thank Joe Tamulonis for sending me the book on Asylum 49 where I got all of this information from. That was incredibly helpful to us. If you want to know what we're doing on our next episode, you'll probably want to be part of the HGB Losers Club because that's where we share what the next episode is going to be about. 
Denise and I were guests on the Is This Adulting podcast, episode number 29, and we talk about Halloween memories, our favorite urban legends, and we play a game about horror movies, fake or real. We had a lot of fun, so make sure you check out episode 29 of Is This Adulting? And thanks to uh, Stephen and Chris for having us on. We encourage you to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get an email from Sarah. Good morning. Over spring break last spring, a group of friends and I went to Savannah, Georgia. We made it to Bonaventure Cemetery, and I wanted to see the Jewish section of the cemetery. There we found a headstone for victims of the Holocaust. On the headstone, you can see a lot of stones placed on it. That's a very long-standing tradition of the Jewish faith. No one really knows when it started, but for many people, the stones are equivalent to placing flowers on the grave. Flowers were seen as a pagan tradition by the Orthodox Jewish sects. An altar in our texts are made of no more than a pile of stones, so piling stones on graves are a very positive thing. Even the western wall is made up of no more than a pile of rocks. For a lot of people, the stones also keep the souls down in the grave. To me, placing a stone on the grave shows my respect for the person. A lot of the time, I place them on unknown graves. It's like I'm saying, I see you, I will remember you, and I hope your soul is at rest. Stones are a good example of a memory. Stones don't die like flowers do. Very cool, because I know that we've seen that several times. Yes. And that's a nice way to have that explained to us. Thank you. Yeah, we've also seen shells, and so I wonder it's probably along the same thing as something... Or coins. Or coins, yes. Mm -hmm. None of those of which decay very easily. No. And then we got an email from Chris. Good morning, ladies. I wanted to write to you and tell you how much I love your podcast and to tell you a brief story. Over this past holiday season, my work hosted a party at the Whitney. It truly is a grand place. We were served dinner in Mrs. Whitney's bedroom and had a very pleasant experience. After dinner, we asked the server if it was possible to go look around the house. She suggested instead that since her shift was done, that she would be more than happy to take us around the house and show us a few things on her own time. That was unexpected, but a welcome addition to the evening. She showed us a secret door in the dining hall, as well as getting some background on the extensive collection of Tiffany stained glass throughout the house and some history of the residents. But I guess the real reason I wanted to write you was to tell you what happened after the tour. We headed to the third floor, which, as you know, is where the ghost bar is. I could tell you this. The feeling up there is very different than the rest of the house. Not malevolent by any means, but you kind of get the sense that you're not alone. I think we were all a little anxious, but more of that sense of, is something going to happen? Not, I hope nothing happens. The third floor has several rooms along with the bar, several lounge areas and offices. I was sitting in one of the rooms talking with my wife and a couple other friends from work, talking about dinner, the house, and some of the stories the server related to us. This is where things get spooky. While we were sitting there, I made a comment about not believing in ghosts or spirits, and it's all in people's heads when two of the lights went out over the fireplace. The whole room turned and looked at me. We were told by the waitress that much of the wiring in the house is original from when Edison put it in, so I immediately dismissed it as old wiring and said as much, until I stood up to get a drink. As I left the room, the same two lights came back on, blinked twice, and went off again. I really still thought nothing of it and headed to the bar. I headed back to my seat, but as I stepped back in the room, the lights came back on, blinked, and went off again. Still the skeptic and laughing the whole time, I walked over to the light sconces and touched one of the two that were off. As I touched it, it turned back on, and needless to say, I almost jumped out of my skin. Now here is what I can't explain away or dismiss as old wiring as I was walking back to my chair, 
I stopped or was stopped. It felt like I had bumped into somebody standing there, but there wasn't anybody there. Oh, geez. As I stood there dumbfounded, I felt a chill, like the air temperature dropped about 20 degrees. I slowly walked back to my seat, apparently with a look of shock on my face. My wife turned and looked at me and said, half laughing, you're awfully pale. You look like you've seen a ghost. I don't know about saw, but I sure felt something I can't explain. Anyway, thank you for the great podcast and keep up the great work. <laughs> that was an amazing story, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. I love it when we have skeptics have experiences like that because we would have all so easily dismissed it and said it's probably the wiring. I mean, some of the timing is a little bit suspicious, but yeah. But you can't explain how you run into something solid when there's nothing there. Exactly. And then you get a chill. And the fact that he had a look on his face that his wife's like, you look like you've seen a ghost. Ha ha. Yeah, he pretty much did. <laughs> wow. We're still accepting stories for the Halloween episode. So if you want to get those to us in the next few days, we will be happy to share those as well. And unlike Chris here is talking about a location that we have featured on the podcast, you can talk about any haunting experience or paranormal experience you've had, no matter where it was or if it was something, you know, in this time period, not at a historical location, doesn't matter. We do have some reviews to share from Apple Podcasts. First one is from Bug and Button. Great podcast. Five stars. I love listening to this podcast. It's never too scary, always informative, and always presented with a genuineness that makes me feel like I'm listening to a couple of my longtime friends. Thanks, ladies. Well, thank you, Bug and Button. Lacey U28, History and Hauntings. Five stars. Don't know why I haven't taken the time to leave a review sooner. Sorry, ladies. I'm a big fan of this show. Diane and Denise deliver well-researched history and folklore with terrific scary stories intertwined with some of the best history tales on any podcast. They have fun with this and it makes the listeners have fun too. My favorite episodes are when they're on the road and sharing their own experiences visiting haunted historic sites. Can't wait to see what's in store for Halloween. Well, thank you, Lacey. And I'm not sure how to say this. Oh, mouth. Double D's favorite ghouls. I love that. I've pretty much binged on HGB for the past three weeks. Denise and Diane are definitely my favorite ghouls to listen to while at work, in the car, sitting in the living room. Absolutely obsessed with all the great stories and historic tales they seem to bring to life. I'm currently listening to episode 191. I'm starting to get that pit in my stomach just knowing that pretty soon I'm going to have to go back to the other podcasts I've been neglecting. I cannot stress enough how welcoming these ladies and the spectacular crew are. I've discovered this unscratched itch to travel and explore, never tempting the spirits, of course. I also really appreciate all the work and research everyone puts into this podcast. My heart was so content when I heard Diane mention the Cambodian killing fields on This Month in History on episode 175. This is my heritage. Maybe you could do an episode on the killing fields and the spirits there as well. Anyway, still have another half hour to kill at work. Thank you so much for all that you do. Five stars, well-deserved. Well, thank you, Mouth. We appreciate that. We want to thank you all for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Sebastian Hunter, Beth Kelly, Chris Key, Flynn Fletcher Dobson, Peter Kenny, Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast, Aaron, Christy Bacon, Lori Zold, and welcome back to Tiffany Newcomer. Thanks. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the
the page. 